And take your Bibles again and turn to John, John chapter 8. As we'll look at these, this last major section takes us through the end of the chapter. It's a lengthy portion, but it's good to keep it all together. So we're going to try to do that this morning and look at it under these points that you see printed there in the insert outline. Again, glad to have guests with us. We trust that you uh, filled out the register so that we can drop you a note, a text, uh, an email, perhaps this week. Follow along as I read. God's inerrant. God's infallible word. The one word that we need every day that we might know the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ, for that is eternal life. So, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. When one of you convicts me of sin, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. 
But I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever, forever. Father, thank you for your word. Give us ears to hear. Give us faith to believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Keeping the big picture in mind is always important. It's important in every aspect of life. In your individual life, keeping the big picture in focus. In your family life, keeping the big picture in focus. In your civic life, in your, in your work life. And we have a saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. That's just another way of saying, you need to keep the big picture in mind. The tree is just part of the forest. It's part of a larger whole. It's part of something much Beggar. John's doing that right here in this passage. He's calling these people to see the big picture. Uh, you might say, okay, so, so what's the big picture? And if I were to ask you that, you might say, because this has been a recurring theme all the way through John's epistle so far is, well, the deity of Christ. I mean, right here in this passage, we read it several times, didn't we? The deity of Christ. You say, I didn't see the word deity. Well, you weren't listening then. Jesus said, I mean, why did they pick up stones at the end of this, at the end of this little discourse? Why did they pick up stones to throw at Jesus? Because he said, I am. That's God's name. He just claimed to be God. 
Oh, the fact that he said, it's my father who glorifies me of whom you say he's our God, but you don't know him. I know him. He said earlier, again, for the umpteenth time, as my mama used to say, that he was sent from the father. He came out of the father. He came from the father. The Jews knew that was deity language. Well, you might say, okay, so that's the big picture. That's not the big picture. What's the big picture? Day one, as we started John, we've been working toward the big picture. The deity is a big deal. But it's not the big picture. The big picture John has for us is stated in John chapter 20, of which I've referred several times. These things have been written for this purpose. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the big picture. That you might have life, that you might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have salvation. And what Jesus is doing right here in these verses, 31 to 59, all goes back to verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. He's just finished one of his I am sayings. I am the light of the world. And at the end of that, we read those words I just read again. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And then John takes us immediately to Jesus calling them to the big picture. I tell you what, when you read this, it's kind of hard to figure out whether they believed in him or not, isn't it? Were you following? Did you have your eyeballs peeled, you know, set right there on the words that I was reading? Jesus, Jesus calls them out. He said, if you really believed in me, you'd be like your father Abraham. You'd love me. You'd, you'd be following me. You wouldn't be accusing me of being a demon. You'd understand what I say. So what's the big picture? The big picture here, John is saying, okay, it's one thing to say, I believe. It's another thing to believe. It's one thing to profess faith in Christ. It's another thing to possess faith in Christ. And what he's calling him to is, this is what it means if you really believe in me. If you really believe in me. <clears throat> and this is a good big, this is the big picture for all of us, not just for these people of, of Hebrew descent, Abraham's physical descendants, not just for them, but for us. Because here's the deal, y'all. We all tend, like the Jews, to add all sorts of things to Jesus. We do. We believe in Jesus. And, you know, 
I grew up in a good home. I believe in Jesus. And I don't do things other people do. We talked about this in the past, in the new members class this morning. You know, we live, and, and, and people in church can, can get into this trap. We live by comparative analysis. Well, I'm not as bad as him. I'm not as bad as her. Our work day goes something like this sometimes, doesn't it? I've done more than she's done in the past week today. I think I'm going to cruise the last two hours. I didn't take a break this morning. I haven't had a break yet. My break this afternoon is going to be take care of this morning and yesterday morning and yesterday afternoon's break I didn't take and the week before break I didn't take. I think I may just not work the rest of the day. Comparative analysis. We do it. We do it in church. And it ends up being, I believe in Jesus and instead of Jesus exclamation point. And that's what's going on here. And Jesus, John's big picture here is Jesus's call to exclusive ownership of our faith, our, our whole being. So let's look at it. And this way we're going to do it. We're going to do it rather rapidly. I'm going to call your attention to a few things because no reason to, sometimes it's easy to get uh, bogged down. Because this is really, this is marvelous. I mean, this, this is the stuff Hollywood's made on, this exchange here, isn't it? Between Jesus and these people. I mean, you could just see, if, 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 you were, if, if we believed in making images of Jesus, which we do not, and that extends to the big screen, uh, but if you, if you believed in, oh, it's okay to make images of Jesus, this would be a great movie, this, this passage right here. I mean, he's going after this, folks. This is, this is a raging debate, and Jesus is getting, getting the better end of the deal. When you start talking about mild and meek Jesus, you don't think of this passage. I'll guarantee you. He is, he's, he's doing some body slamming right here. But let's don't get caught up in all that. Let's, hit, let's, let's see what the main point John wants us to see here is. The first one is this. Jesus says, genuine faith. Remember the setting, many believed in him. Right there. Isn't it easy for us to say, oh, that's wonderful. He believed. They believed. Well, Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, we're going to come back to this hard and heavy in chapter 15 of John when we get into the whole abiding chapter. And Jesus says that unless you abide in me, nothing, nothing matters. He starts right here. Genuine faith is an informed faith. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If I were to ask some of you right now who've been Christians for a while, how many people you know who say they're Christians but they would be hard pressed. I'm going to tell you a sad story. 
I hope this story improved over the past 30-something years. My wife and I are playing Bible uh, Challenge with a seminary couple in Louisville, Kentucky in the cold winter of 1984-85. We lived in Louisville, Kentucky. We had five consecutive days of sub-zero weather. Y'all don't look like that's a big deal. You ought to go try it sometime. That means your cars won't start unless you take the battery in and keep them warm and then take them back out. But even if you take them back out, the ice and the snow are so deep that you can't go anywhere anyway. We're playing Bible challenge with this couple. Here's the challenge question. New Testament, you identify. New Testament question. Gospel, you narrow it down. Gospel question. Who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Seminary student. Um, Paul? Thought he was a joke. I mean, I thought he was, you know, pulling our leg. His wife, who grew up in a Presbyterian household. I know, I know. I didn't want to just pick on Baptist, okay? His wife, Presbyterian household. I know. Peter? Now I'm thinking, okay, they think we're stupid. And I, I so how do you, I mean, how do you answer that? I say, no, think about this. It's in the gospel. It's in the gospel of John. And John's not saying it. And G, I mean, who said, I almost said it, to hint, hint. Who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Just think about it a moment. When I finally realized they weren't joking, they really didn't know. Did I say they, that he was a seminary student? preparing for the gospel ministry that he'd grown up in a minister's home in a Baptist church did I say all that some of that I said not all of that if I were to ask some of you how many of you have known people like that in the church who if you said are you a Christian yes I'm a Christian and they don't abide in the word they don't even know what Jesus has said about himself Now, right there, Jesus could have pulled the plug on these many who believed in him. Now, if you're sitting here and you're saying, oh, well, I do read my Bible. I, I know a lot of my Bible by heart. That don't, you're not off the hook. I'll remind you of the professor at Memphis State, then Memphis State University. I knew pro, pro, professor of philosophy that I studied with just a little bit and then decided I didn't need this. And... He had read every English edition, translation of the Bible. He could read the Hebrew and the Greek. He had read the Latin Vulgate, and he didn't believe that there was a God. You can, you can read the Bible, and you can know the Bible, and not believe in Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, you have to abide in my word. 
My word will set you free. Then the confusion sets in. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved. Well, duh. They were enslaved right then. They weren't free in the Roman Empire. They, had, they, they couldn't rule themselves in the Roman Empire. We can back up. We can, go to, we can go back to Nebuchadnezzar. We can back on up to Egypt, can't we? God delivered them from Egypt and then said, you'll have no other gods beside me. Sin makes you irrational. Sin makes you deny your own existence almost. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you're the offspring of Abraham. He says, I'm not stupid. I know who you are. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. That's the first thing. Genuine faith is an informed faith. Don't don't slip around saying you're a Christian if you have no love for God's word. Second, genuine faith is a persevering faith. You find that in verses 34 and following. The slave does not remain in the house forever. What's he talking about? Truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The pea and the tulip, folks... We just talked about this also in the new members class this morning. The P in the tulip does not stand for perseverance of sinners. It's perseverance of the saints. You say, oh, you don't, so we're not, we don't sin? Yeah, we sin, but we don't persevere in it. We persevere in sanctification. We persevere in growth and grace. We're putting to death the old things. We're putting to life the new things. Behold, whoever's in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old things pass away. The new things have come. Perseverance. Genuine faith is a persevering faith. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, in that great chapter on definitive sanctification, he says that we're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. No longer in the dominion of sin, but in the dominion of righteousness of God. That's what he's saying. We're God's people. We persevere. We don't practice sin. We don't set practicing sin against in, in persevering in righteousness. Third, verses 39 through 47. Jesus said, Abraham's our father. Or they said, Abraham's our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. Again, the persevering theme comes on through. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Again, he got this. This is from God. This is not man. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Scholars pretty much agree there. They're, they're doing the, the woman at the well thing back in chapter 4. They're kind of trying to divert the conversation here. And, and they're throwing it back on him. They're saying, he's saying, you're not really... Abraham's descendants, spiritual descendants. Physical, yes. Spiritual, no. And then they're saying, well, we weren't born of immorality. This has something to do probably with them and his unusual 
coming to this earth, his unusual birth of a woman but no father except God the Father. We have one father, even God. Jesus said, if you, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I'm here. Again, that coming from God theme back to John chapter one, the prologue and him being in the bosom of the father from eternity. Why do you not understand what I say? Here's the, here's the centerpiece right here. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. That's the third point. Genuine faith. Genuine faith is a comprehending faith. Genuine faith is going to be in God's word. It's going to persevere in God's works. And genuine faith is going to understand God's word. He's going to give us understanding. Faith brings about understanding. Back to that, that historic classic statement, right? We don't understand in order to believe. We believe in order to understand. I'm going to tell you, this is a tough one. You say, okay, we're not going to understand everything about this Bible because God said it. and He's incomprehensible. That's right. But God gives us ears to hear. And he gives us, remember what Paul says? That we're not to be conformed to this world. We're to be conformed in the renewing of our minds. That gets to comprehension. God's teaching us. He gave us the Holy Spirit. We're not there yet. Chapter 16, God's Spirit sent to do what? One of the things the Spirit of the living God is sent to do on this earth for God's people is to guide us into all truth. That that implicit to that, if not explicit to that, is the comprehension of God's Word. We'll know everything we need to know concerning God and his salvation, what, who he is and what he wants us. What, how does our catechism divide it? What does the Bible principally teach us? What we're to believe concerning God and what we're to do in obeying him. Those two things. Comprehension is part of saving faith. Knowing who God is, knowing what he has for us, moving away from the carnal things, Remember who Satan is. He's the one who came to steal, kill, and destroy. His primary means of doing that is by taking the word of God out of our hands and keeping it out of our minds and our hearts. Jesus came that we might have life, so he came to give us his word, give us his spirit to teach us his word that we might know all that we're to know. A comprehending faith. And finally, genuine faith is an eternal faith. That's a big deal. Every other religion of this world is primarily a temporal religion. You say, well, prominent in our world today is Islam. And would you say that's a temporal? I'd say it is. 
at the bottom line because it's about what you do in this life. Cults like Jehovah's Witnesses, it's about what you do in this life. Mormons, it's about what you do in this life that gets you what you get to do in the next life. Focus is temporality. Christianity is an eternal religion. Verses 48 through 59, the Jews said, are, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan? That's because, remember, he came down from that direction when he came to Jerusalem. And you have a demon? That's a loaded question. Jesus says, if I have a demon, why would I honor God? I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. He's the judge, truly, truly. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus brings the death issue, the eternal issue in. Jews said, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, by the way, our God is the God of the living, not the dead. Abraham's body, remember the problem we've been seeing all the way through the book of John. People think naturally, materialistically, physically, instead of supernaturally. That's our problem. We struggle with that because we live in this, we live in this physical, material, temporal world. And we struggle with the eternal. And keeping the eternal in perspective, that's the big picture. Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. See, Abraham looked beyond his life. Abraham looked beyond the temporal. And if that's not the point, it becomes even more pronounced as you read on. Your father rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. First of all, the I am takes it into the eternal realm, God. Secondly, before Abraham was, puts him in, in precedence to Abraham, preceding Abraham. You say, okay, so... But what is this about? Abraham looked forward to his day. I see that's looking beyond the temporal, beyond the immediate to something future, but that's not necessarily eternal. That could just be, yeah, but let me just simply remind you. I mean, we, we could talk about all sorts of things here. We could talk about Abraham sacrificing his son on Mount Moriah, going there to take his only son at that point and to put him on the altar Obeying God, God stops him and says, Abraham, I will provide myself a ram, a sacrifice. There's the ram over there. 
But the significance was God. I will provide for myself a sacrifice. And that ram was not the sacrifice. That ram was a picture of the sacrifice, like all the other sacrifices were. We could talk about that. That surely is part of what's going on here. How about, how about the episode with Lot, when those three men come to Abraham, remember? And one of them turns out to be who? The Lord. We could uh, we could go back to chapter 15 and that torch, that burning torch that passed through the sacrifices and the innumerable promises, the sands of the sea, the stars of the sky. God surely, but hey, here's, here's the best of all. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 11 Speaking of Abraham, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's how Abraham lived. He lived looking forward to the city that's yet to come. And oh, by the way, what did Jesus say? We haven't got there yet. So if, unless you've read ahead in the book, you won't know this unless you've just been reading your Bible like you're supposed to be reading your Bible chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to myself. Who's preparing the city that Abraham was looking forward to? Who's the designer of that city that Abraham was looking forward to? Jesus is. He saw his, his Lord in that day in Lot's episode. He saw his Lord in that realm on that mountain. And he saw his Lord high and lifted up building a place for him. That's supernatural. And that's how we have to live, is looking to Christ in all of his glory, in all of his person, in all of his work. So quickly, genuine faith is an informed faith. And by the way, it doesn't appear that many of these who believed in him in verse 30 have that. He's challenging it at least to make them know You can't just say you believe. This is what real faith is going to look like. It's going to have an informed nature to it. It's going to have a persevering character to it. It's going to have a comprehensible content to it. And it's going to have an eternal heavenly perspective. That's what saving faith is. Genuine faith is in stark contrast to superficial faith. And I'm going to tell you, folks, I've said this so many times here. We've lived, many of us have lived through a few generations now of a faith that's all about sign a card, pray a prayer, go to heaven when you die, and nothing in between really matters. And I'm here to tell you that's not a saving faith. That's a superficial faith. This faith Jesus calls these Jews to is the genuine thing, the real thing. Jesus will accept only genuine trust and belief. And isn't it wonderful that when you have that genuine faith like Abraham had, you can look forward to the city, to the new heavens and the new earth, 
and in between you can live an informed life, a persevering life, a comprehending God life. Why would anyone want something less? Because anything less is nothing in the end. This table we're going to come to in just a moment is all about that, faith. We come to this table in faith, believing that Jesus Christ is all that he said he was. He was God who came down from the Father and took on flesh. He was the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, in flesh, who died on the cross, shed his blood to take care of the penalty of our sin. And he was raised on the third day and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty even now where he intercedes for us to save us completely so that we might not live a life of superficiality, but we might live a life persevering, looking forward to the heavenly city. That's what this table is all about, is just what we've heard over the past 30 minutes. We get the gospel twice. We get to hear it, and then we get to taste it, and we get to smell it, we get to see it. We get to enjoy our Savior who saves us from our sins. Father, thank you for the glorious gospel, and we ask now that you bless our time as we sing, as we enjoy these elements, the Lord's Supper. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.